Hello, and welcome back to Office Hours, a theater podcast. My name is Aries, and as always, I'm joined by Josh. Hey, hey. And Michael. What's up? And today we'll be talking about the voice, looking at it as a connection between mind, body, and practice. And we are joined by a very special guest, none other than Dr. Jennifer Whitehead. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Welcome. Thank well, Jennifer Whitehead is a professor of voice and anything, what else? Voice and? Uh, opera, just all voice related topics. Voice, all the all the opera, all the voice <laughs> at Ohio Wesleyan University. Anything else you want to say? Introduce yourself, Annie. Wow, no pressure there. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a classical singer, classically trained, but I teach all different styles of singing and I love teaching actors and theater majors. Yeah, so you're a... Teacher, professor, educator, you're a singer yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a low grade comedian. Yeah. Just... <laughs> low grade, excuse me. Low grade. Wow. <laughs> a fashionista, mm. you know, just you know. everything. Wow. <laughs> yeah, now I feel Now a you lot did of your <laughs> you completed your doctorate at OSU, correct? That is correct, yes. And I did it nice. kind of late in life. I did singing hmm. and teaching for a long time. I didn't get my doctorate until I was 43. So mm. I came to the party late, but I got to the party. So, hey, there's that. Nice, 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 nice. But you were, I mean, you were doing things before that. What was that like? So before coming back and... Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, I got my master's degree uh, right away out of college. And then I did a long time of just doing some regional singing and private teaching. I adjuncted at several schools in the Columbus area. I taught at Kenyon College for a while. I taught at Ashland University. I taught at Otterbein University for a long time. And that was great because that really prepared me for working with theater students. Otterbein has a large Mm -hmm. BFA musical theater program. And so I really got a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge about what teaching musical theater and teaching just theater students in general was like. And yeah, yeah, and then I kind of came to a point where I was either going to really pursue singing at a higher level or get a doctorate or have a baby. And I decided to have a baby because, you know, that clock ticks. The others, you have a little little more time. And um, so I had a daughter in 2004 and she is now 16 and driving and it's very upsetting. Yeah, it's very upsetting. And so in the mix of all that, later on, I decided to go ahead and pursue the doctorate because Mm -hmm. I really wanted to get to teach on just a different level. You know, there's, there's a lot of, there are benefits to adjuncting. You, you come, you teach, you leave. All right. Mm -hmm. And in that regard, it's kind of nice. You never really have to get your hands too dirty with departmental politics or just the the difficult things that come with being a professor. But I, I wanted to have more of a voice in how my department was shaped and in teaching a variety of things, not just teaching voice for hours on end. And so I was very blessed to be able to get a job right out of my doctorate because they can be hard to find. Mm-hmm. And that's how I ended up at Ohio Wesleyan University. Nice. You were ready to settle down. I was ready to settle down. Yes. <laughs> yes. Nice. So I know that you also, you tend to do a lot of focusing on vocal health for singers, for singers and actors. And so we'll, we'll tie that into that as well. And so first, just looking at this topic of just the voice, and just with it being a connection between 
mind body and practice and so for background you know you were my voice teacher in undergrad yes you know and so and and us and so we would often talk about this connection you know of the voice and you're like it's it, if you're stressed out it affects your voice you know if you're not feeling well it affects your voice and if you're not practicing it affects your voice mm-hmm. you know and you would mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and so that's kind of what we'll be overarching what we'll be centering on but i think i first just want to just talk about the relationship to your voice and or just singing in general so like how'd you get into singing first and how did you start developing this strong relationship with your voice or the voice well i grew up in a musical family both my parents were music teachers my mother was a middle school music teacher god bless her no thank you um (laughs) my dad was a was a high school music director. And neither of my parents were really singers per se. Their main instruments were pi- was piano. But I just, I grew up singing. I sang in groups, you know, in, in my school. I came from a strong uh, church tradition. I sang in church my whole life, church choir, singing, you know, as a soloist in church. But I wasn't really planning to study voice professionally. I was a serious flute player as well and taking, yes, a flautist. <laughs> And I was really taking very serious lessons and considered going into, I I was pretty sure I was going to go into music, but was thinking about flute as my primary instrument. But something in me just, I don't know, I just felt more like a singer. I identified more with singers, just Mm -hmm. in being around them, in in personality, in just when I thought about if I'm going to go into a practice room and spend hours a week working on a craft could i really mm-hmm. see myself doing it with the flute and for whatever reason i couldn't i loved it and i credit it with making me a good musician i played in a couple of like high school level orchestras and you know i was studying with a teacher who was a member of the columbus symphony and i was really serious about it and it shaped me into i think a good musician and i was able to bring that with me but i really loved to sing It just felt more personal. It felt more exciting. I got feedback that steered me in that direction, you know, from people who knew. And it said, you should really consider majoring in music, majoring in, I mean, I was going to major in music, but majoring in voice. And I actually started out in music education. I thought that I might, yeah, I thought I might follow in my parents' footsteps. But then when I really thought about that, I felt like that wasn't exactly what I wanted either. And I ended up talking to a friend that just kind of said, why don't you, why don't you just major in voice? And then you can, if you decide later that you want to be an educator, you can get a master's degree in education, or you can keep pursuing the voice angle and maybe end up teaching on the college level. And so that's kind of, Mm -hmm. kind of where it, where it came from. I just kind of grew up around music. It was sort of what we did as a family and I just knew that for me, singing was what just what felt right. Yeah, yeah. And you you brought up identity and as related to like flautist versus being a singer. And I guess talk a little bit about what specifically, like as a singer, did you identify with? Or like, what is it about that identity versus being a flautist that was just different for you or was more of a calling for you? Oh, that's hard to say. I mean, because I'm going to be generalizing here a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you have to understand that. But in general, I think singers tend to have more of all the feels. (laughs) 
so many feelings and just the the sort of personality of a singer a lot mm-hmm. of them tend to be very gregarious it's a little bit more maybe less black and white a little more holistic feeling the instrumentalists sometimes tend to be a little bit more it can be a little bit more of a cerebral pursuit not that you're not using your brain when you sing but it's just different and i just the only way i can explain it is that i just felt at home among singers mm. i felt understood and i felt like when i was playing i was sort of adapting myself to fit into something that wasn't quite me if that yeah. makes sense it's hard to it's hard to describe it because it's not really tangible it was just yeah. more of a gut thing and really when i examined myself what did i see myself doing i think one of the big things because i told you i started out in music education i i realized early on i was like i do not want to be a band director that's not what i want to do and if my primary instrument was flute that's kind of the the tack i would probably be taking you know and i knew that if i were going into music ed i wanted to be conducting choral music and dealing with singers so it made more sense to study singing and then from there it just blossomed into really identifying as a singer yeah and it's, i think it's interesting just because there's like been studies about like when people sing together or just like when they're singing naturally what it does to the body what it does just how do you connect with people and there's a level of engagement that's different so like in choirs when people are all singing together they're creating social bonds you know that they, they're not even aware of and i don't know if that's the same with musicians in the same sense of band, so having like a musical group versus say, playing in a band. I can speak to that a little bit. I mean, I, I played trumpet for almost 12 years. I mean, it was a very long time. And there were a couple times where I feel like I had that experience with, you know, e- even more than w- with a couple of the ensembles that I was in and, and a couple of the jazz groups that I was in. I think jazz, for me, almost more so, I had some of that experience. But, like, I felt that almost more than some of the church choirs that I sang in. And so, for me, it was kind of the opposite experience. It was a place where, you know, that connection was there. But I I think, really, it does come down to some of that ensemble that you start to develop these personal relationships. And those relationships are kind of manifested through the art that you're creating together. Almost that you're contributing to some sort of a whole. And there's something fulfilling about that that goes beyond just what you're creating or the task that you're doing, Mm -hmm. but becomes this joint venture. You're all working towards something, which I think... So I I definitely think I had that experience, both in band, but but particularly in some of these smaller ensemble settings. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was just going to say, making music, it is a very communal activity. Mm -hmm. And for me, I did play in some some good orchestras and stuff, and I, I found it really exciting but I have to say that whenever I was singing and whenever I was singing in a choir and it was a good choir, there was something so moving about it. There was something mm-hmm. so, I think there's, as a person who does play an instrument pretty well, the flute dabbles in the piano, shakes um, <laughs> in the piano and, and sings. To me, there's an intimacy in singing that mm. is different than anything else. That's the great thing. And the hard thing about singing, it's very intimate. It's your body, you know? It's not your body doing something to make a sound. It is your body making a sound. Mm-hmm. There's no buffer. There's no buffer between the vessel. No. You know, where it's like if you have an instrument, you know, not saying that you can't be intimate through an instrument. You can definitely use that to expand this vessel or expand that connection. 
but when it is just your body, which is, I think, similar to acting, yes. you know, it's just the whole body is the instrument, you know, the whole, the voice is the whole body, you know, and so. There's a nakedness to it, which is yeah. both the great thing about it and the really difficult and really personal thing about it. I, I want to ask kind of an interesting question, which I suppose is more of a technical question. Where is the line between singing and talking? Most of us talk, but th there are a lot of people who say, well, I can't sing. Yeah. What? I mean, in some ways, yeah, I almost think some of the beginnings to singing is, you know, you're just sustaining some of the sounds. Yeah. Is there something different going on in the body when you're singing? Well, the fact that it's sustained is one of the biggest things, you know, sustained sound. You're asking your vocal cords to behave in a different way. When we talk, the cords are relatively short and thick. Okay, when we start to sing and, and vary the pitch, they get longer and thinner, all right? Ah. The breath to sound relationship is different. It's also more sustained. It's more high octane. Sometimes I say that singing is sort of like speech on steroids. Okay, there's just <laughs> a lot more variance. And I think when people say they can't sing, I think it's sort of like we can all do things to a certain degree. I mean, we all walk, for example. We all walk around, all right? But I'm a terrible runner. I mean, I'm a terrible runner. I'm not fast. <laughs> I, I look horrible doing it. It's, I just, I'm not a good runner. I'm not a great dancer, all right? Mm -hmm. But if I can walk, we all walk. All right, so that's kind of maybe an analogy. It's just doing it on a higher level, and I think... There are two things that are true when people say they can't sing. Often, it's because they've had no exposure. They've never used their voice that way. They, they didn't grow up around it. They didn't come from a family where they sang. They didn't sing in school. And then they come to college sometimes, or even as an adult later on, they say, I want to take some voice lessons. And they just have no idea where to sort of put that sound and how to make that sound happen. And for some people, they find out that they really can sing. They just didn't know they could sing. And so their mm -hmm. default position is, oh, I can't, I can't sing, when maybe a better expression is I don't sing, you know? Mm -hmm. And because of that, some people have trouble hearing specific pitch at first. They have a hard time calibrating the voice to whatever is being played on the piano or what somebody else is singing because they've just never used their voice that way before. So it's different for sure because it's sustained and it just it requires more coordination in the body of the breath, of the tissues in the mouth and the throat, the ears, all of it. Mm -hmm. It kind of, to me, seems a little bit like figuring out how to control, you know, some muscle in your body that... Yes. That you know, you can't know, like, like the rock who can, you know, flex his pecs and, right. and whatnot. It's like, you, <laughs> if, if you work at it, you can figure out, you know, whatever, you know, synaptic connections in your brain. You, you can't do that? Well, you, you know, can't I'm, sit around and I'm, do that? I, I'm working towards it. That's, mm -hmm, you know, that's mm -hmm. one of my big, my big goals and pursuits. I just sit there in the mirror staring and, <laughs> and will my body to It'd be a good 2020 goal rocks. for you, I think. Yeah, no, but I think that's true. You're isolating muscles. And I think one of the hardest things about singing, as compared perhaps to playing an instrument, is that you're dealing with musculature that you can't see. And that's ah. hard. You know, you can sit and look at the piano keyboard 
you know, if you're taking mm. piano lessons, you can see what you're doing with your fingers. Your teacher can see what you're doing with your fingers. No, don't do that. Do this. They can touch your finger and move it and say, no, shape it like this. The voice, we're manipulating muscles that we cannot see. And yeah. so that in itself is a real challenge and something that makes singing different. And I think a lot of the muscles live at that intersection of mind, body, and practice. It's a huge head game. And it's and it's very much programming. That's what practice really is. Practice is programming your muscles, your body, your brain even, to do what you want them to do in a given mm. situation. Because if you don't practice that in, you know, hitting a high mm -hmm. note, for example, if you don't feel that out and figure out exactly what that feels like and where you want to put that, so to speak, when you're nervous, when you're under white hot lights, it's, it's not going to happen. You're going to default to whatever your default position is, which usually <laughs> isn't good <laughs> for most of us, you know. So that definitely, there's a huge mind connection in singing. Yeah. As yeah. in any skill. So maybe we've already talked on it. How do you start developing a good relationship with your voice? And I guess this pertains to health a little bit. Are you talking about a singing context now or just your voice in general? We can we can do both, through general and then also with singing as well. You know, are they related? Right. Well, you have to understand that your voice, I think an understanding of the voice as part of the body is really important. So whatever is going on with your body is going on with your voice. And you can't mistreat your voice or completely disregard your vocal health and expect to have a good relationship with it. And, mm -hmm. and I would say this as a singer or as an actor. I mean, we tend to treat the voice like this sort of spare tire that we just want to pull out and have it work for us <laughs> whenever we want it. But we don't pay any attention to it until we want it. And then if it, if it doesn't work, we're really mad about it. All right. And we have to connect the dots, you know, things that are good for you in general. Eating right, getting your sleep, drinking a lot of water. All of those things play into your voice because they play into your body and your body mm -hmm. is your voice and your voice is your body. I think understanding that you can't do certain things and then expect a certain outcome. So for instance, I mean, I have, I've taught for a long time. I'm old and I've had many students who will, and this, this is surprising when I, when I say it this way, that smart people do this and these aren't stupid people, but it's because we don't make a connection. They'll, you know, go out to a bar and drink and talk really loud over noise, be in a smoky environment, maybe even smoke themselves, you know, or they'll go to a, a sporting event and they'll yell and then they'll come in for a lesson a day or two later and be just super frustrated and just even kind of just puzzled as to why they're hoarse and as to why things don't sound good <laughs> or feel good and it's breathy and it's and, and when I start asking them what they've been doing and they tell me these things it's funny because sometimes I have to make the connection for them you know what'd you do last mm -hmm. night well I went out okay what do you mean you went out well I, I had a few drinks well how many are a few you know, where were you? What were you doing? And when we get to the bottom of it, you know, it's like they crawled into bed at 4 a.m., totally trashed, and then wonder mm -hmm. why they, they can't sing well at 3 p.m. the next day. You know, and, and it's, it's, there's a definite connection there. We all understand the idea of a budget, 
right? We all know what it is to have a finite, some of us more finite than others, amount of money, right? And we know I cannot spend this much on this or that because I have to save that money for this. The voice is the same way. It's a budget principle. Um, (laughs) You have to take care of it if you want it to work for you later. You always have to be thinking down the line. And I say this as a person who's had my own vocal health struggles, and I did not make that connection until I was, I mean, I hate to say this, it's embarrassing to say this, but I was, in, I was out of graduate school, in, mm. in, and I had some really unhealthy vocal habits. I wasn't partying, I wasn't necessarily screaming, but you know, I'm an extrovert. I always say introverts don't have voice problems. <laughs> <laughs> The extroverts have trouble because we tend to be loud. You know, we talk a lot. We are animated often in how we talk. And I was teaching all the time. My husband was in law school. So I was teaching all the time and singing all the time to make Mm -hmm. money and came down with a nice matched set of vocal nodules. Okay. Mm -hmm. I was devastated because I knew better. I mean, I cried and cried and cried and cried. I was so devastated over this. And I went to speech therapy and thank God got rid of them. All right. They were small and soft when they were caught. And I went to speech therapy, quite frankly, with a really bad attitude. I did. I I really did. I was kind of like, what are these people going to tell me that I don't already know about the voice? Yeah. Because I was a voice professional and I, and I had heard. You're like, this is what I do. This is what I do. do. Yes. So this, this grad student in speech pathology is really going to tell me what now, you know, this was my attitude. I mean, and I went in and I was extremely humbled. I learned a lot. And I, for the first time at like, I think I was 25, made this connection that it's not just what we do when we're singing that, that affects our voice. It's what we do when we speak, because I knew how to sing healthily. I knew Mm -hmm. all that. I had all that down. I'd been working on that for years. But I wasn't connecting the dots between what I was doing, you know, on a random Tuesday and my ability to have a really good practice session on Thursday, you know. So it's it's those basics. I tell you that to tell you that these these basic ideas about vocal health can elude even voice professionals sometimes. Because mm-hmm. we don't always think about what we're doing in the mundane and how it relates to what we're doing in the, in the sublime, so to speak, act of singing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's important because it's like, I remember when I came back from working with City and just looking at the way that they, they were actors, but just looking at the way that they practiced and the way that they prepared, you know, and I recognized that like, and just this light bulb kind of went off and it was like, we perform like crap. Because not because it was a crappy performance, but just because we prepared like crap, you know, and it was like, it's not like, like a performance isn't based on how we're performing or what we're doing in that moment. It's about all the things that we've done before. It's about all the choices we made before we get there. Absolutely. It's a lifestyle. You see, that's the thing. Performing, it's not an act. It's a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the thing about taking care of your voice. It's a lifestyle choice. It's a, yeah. it's, it's a thousand little choices in a day or a week that add up. And it doesn't mean that you have to go into some, you know, hyper aware, voice protective, weird opera singer bubble where you're wearing like 10 scarves and always speaking like this. I mean, it's not <laughs> that, but you, but you do have to think about 
shaking care of yourself. It's not never having a drink. It's understanding that if I'm going to drink X amount of alcohol, I need to then counteract that with X amount of water and rest and not be doing that all the time. You know, budget it. It's that budget principle is really, really important. Low vocal dollars. Yep. Low vocal dollars, baby. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Josh, did you want to say something? I was just going to say something that really reminded me of when Michael and I would go to the gym back in college. And there's an element to which I was very unfamiliar with kind of general gym practice and things like that. And so, I mean, it's true, but- And now um, you're flexing those pecs. Just think how far you've come. Yeah, I tell you what, now I'm I'm just, I'm a, I'm a shred machine. Mm, you know it. No, but I mean, I also, I also recognize that, you know, I certainly learned a lot from Michael about, you know, his commitment to being able to wake up and have kind of a routine, but certainly also that, you know, you can't just do, you know, the same sets of things every single day. And, and, there's an element to which I think it was a bit of a learning curve for me when I'd be like working in the shop, you know, one day after I just, I did a ridiculous amount of, you know, this one thing, not thinking of how it balanced with the other activities that I would need to take on in the day. You know, I'd be writing in class and, you know, but like, I think that's kind of an interesting connection there. But I think I went the wrong end, which is then at a certain point in the year, I just kind of was like, oh, well, maybe I just need to cut out the gym, you know, or, (laughs) you know, and I don't even know if that was entirely conscious sometimes. Sometimes I just just start not waking up to my alarms. But, but rather what I probably should have done is, is think about, well, what are better ways to kind of balance that? Right. You know, what are ways that I can kind of take, take stock of, of what all I'm doing throughout the day and and Mm -hmm. how I need to balance that. Yeah, keying in. All or nothing is never sustainable. Yeah. It's really never sustainable. That's why it's finding all those little ways to make things work. Mm -hmm. And looking, like doing a holistic thing. So it's like, okay, like you have people who, even with working out, it's like, well, I I just want to focus on arms and chest. And you have a lot of guys who go to the gym and that's all they do, you know, and then their legs are really weak. And just, but also looking at like, the voice as well. So it's like, if there's something you like about your voice that you're like, I need to, or I need to make this stronger, you also have to, it's not just that aspect of the voice. You have to make the entire voice. You have to work out the entire voice. Absolutely. The same way. And I think what you just said about the, you know, guys that will just work out the upper body, for example, if you approach it from how you want to come off or how you want to look, you know, those, mm-hmm. those, those people are very focused on creating a look, getting to a look that they want. But the reality is you have to get yourself to a point of how you feel so that you can look the way you want to look. And so I say that in the same thing with, with, with singing, you know, I'll, I'll even have students that will be really, really into it. And maybe they even take care of their basic health, but they don't want to like do a careful warm up because it takes time and it's boring and it's tedious and it's annoying. And what they want to do is go right into that practice room and start screaming those high notes. And just real, I gotta get that high note. I'm gonna get it. I gotta get it. I've got that audition coming up. The high, it's all about the high note. And they're not thinking about, okay, but I've gotta build up to that. I've gotta get my body mm-hmm. primed for that. It's it, We don't work from the outside in, we work from the inside out, right? Yeah. I can't just focus on what I wanna come off as, as a singer. I have to focus on who I am as a singer, who I am as an actor, what I'm doing with my body to produce the sound that I want. 
It's not the other way around. Yeah, you have to have your balanced vocal diet. You know, you got to eat your vocal vegetables and you got you got to do the the things that you don't want to eat, those vocal Brussels sprouts, you know, Ooh, does and it eat have those. To be, does it have to be Brussels sprouts? I mean, well, yes, because no one to wants Brussels sprouts. Could we just, you know, do broccoli maybe? <laughs> just... No, it's too, no, if it, no, it's Brussels sprouts because no one wants to do it. You no. know, it's like, oh, yeah, those Brussels sprouts, those, oh, it's true. It's true. You know, it's true. Yes. Balance is very important. And, and, you know, you, you have to create, if you want to like your voice, if you want to like how you sound and what you do, you are the one that's creating that. That does not come from a conductor or a coach or a voice teacher or a director telling you that they like what you do. If you're, if that is, if that is what you're interested in, if you're interested in getting to a good relationship with your voice from what other people tell you about it, it's never going to happen. It Mm. has to come from you. You have to like what you're doing. You have to be happy with your sound. You have to be happy with what you're doing in the practice room and how you're taking care of of your voice and how you're showing up and how you're working on your craft. And if you're doing that, that creates resiliency. Not just in your voice, but also in how you react to criticism, how you react to direction, how you react to a conductor that just doesn't like what you're doing, you know? And it's not that you don't, it's not that you say, well, screw you. I like what I'm doing. No, that's not going to work either. You're going to get fired, (laughs) but, (laughs) but you're able to fix it because you have a good relationship with your voice. Yeah. You're you're secure in your knowledge about what you're doing and you're able to separate it out and say, okay, he didn't like this. She didn't like this. I'm going to work on that. But that core relationship with yourself and with your body and with your singing is still there because yeah. you've cultivated it. So with a lot of that personal work, is that is that where some of the practice comes in? Absolutely. If you, so much of singing and I would think acting too is it's about being a detective, you know? So figuring out, okay, I'm singing this piece. What don't, what don't I like? What's not working? What mm-hmm. do I feel isn't working? What is my voice teacher saying isn't working? Okay, so let's say, let's say the sound is just chronically breathy. Okay, the sound is chronically breathy. <laughs> so I was, for everyone at home, I was raising my hand. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so what did, okay. So Aries, when your voice was chronically breathy in your lessons, what was I always trying to get you to do? To help with that one, pushing the placement a little bit more forward, focusing on resonance in different places of my mouth. So not ooh, really back in the back of my throat, but pushing it forward and really feeling it kind of in like above my nasal cavity, like between like eyes, forehead and nose, right in that yeah in that area mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, some um visual things of just thinking of like tilting like tilting the voice forward and so like a lot of like just framing it in my mind it's like okay my voice is really tilted backwards i need to tilt it on a diagonal forward and really connecting to the breath and just really taking lower breaths and so i, I, I was taking very shallow breaths yeah which is why my voice was sitting really low at the bottom of my throat, because that's where I was resonating. And so kind of stretching it out in the opposite direction. So we, we did a lot of things. Yeah. Oh, we did a lot of things. Yeah. Breathing, br- singing with the whole body is huge. Breathing. Yeah. Yes, resonance is very important. But if the sound is breathy, I'm going to check in with my body. Am I breathing? 
Am I am I owning the process? I, I've written a book on the topic of practice, and it's called I Left My Wand at Home. Um, oh, a voice teacher that. on the practical magic of practice. Because we, we tend to act, there's this mystique to singing. People tend to, that's one of my points in the book, that people tend to act like, oh, you sing. Well, that's just such a gift. And it's sort of like you've either just been kissed by the gods or you haven't, right? <laughs> and yes, there's talent. Yes, there's ability. Yes, not everybody's going to be a professional singer. But so much of it is the grit of working on your craft. And a lot of that is lonely work. It's, it's in a practice room by yourself. Yes, a teacher guides you, maybe shows you what to work on, gives you specific things to practice. And it's up to you to synthesize that and take that and run with it and listen. But being a detective, if I, if I don't like something in my sound, what is wrong? And then once I figure out what is wrong, I can figure out what to do to fix it. And then I set about doing that until I've fixed it. And that's not necessarily spent in hours and hours at a time in a practice room. It might be 20 minutes. And then I'll come back to it for another 20 minutes later on and another 20 minutes later on. It's sort of living in that realm of focus on how to fix it and how to then take it. Maybe I've worked on it in an exercise. Okay, now how do I incorporate that into this piece that I'm having trouble with? <laughs> so it has it has yeah. layers and steps. Yeah, and it's not a, uh, a one-fix-all or it's like you're not going to pass it in that moment. And so I think that's something that I've always struggled with, with just practicing because I don't, I don't like failing. And so I'm like, if I'm going to practice, then I want to, I want to accomplish it, you know? So it's like, if I'm going to, if I'm going to practice for 20 minutes, I want to achieve what I came to achieve. And if I don't, then I don't recognize it as being beneficial. I know that's terrible, but I also know that a lot of people think that way. You know, it's, I think it's with actors, the same thing with monologues, you know, it's like we're the, our idea is like, all right, I need to go. I need to practice this monologue for an hour. And when I'm done after this hour, I should have it down pat and I'm cool and I got it. And it's it's long, it's tedious work. And like, like you said earlier, it's lonely. At times it's very lonely. Yeah. And it's breaking things into little manageable chunks. Yeah, nobody likes to fail. So instead of telling yourself, okay, at the end of this hour, working on this monologue, to use the acting example, you know, it's either I'm Meryl Streep or I'm a failure, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's a super binary way to look at it, right? And that's that's that yeah. is true. Some of the we don't practice for a lot of reasons. We don't practice because we are all, and I include myself in this, we're all fundamentally lazy and we just don't want to because it's hard and it's not fun. Sometimes students at the beginning of their study, I I remember feeling this way myself. I remember very distinctly feeling when I started taking voice lessons it kind of sucked all the wind out of my sails. Like it, it took all the joy out of singing for a while because I thought I was fabulous, you know, because, you know, and we, we all kind of come to it that way, right? Because your grandmother's told you you're great your whole life. And then you, then a voice teacher looks at you and says, no, you need to fix this, this, and this, and I didn't like this. And it kind of having to think about it as a science rather than an art for a minute is hard. Mm -hmm. and, and it kind of takes the joy out of it. So I think... I think we're lazy. I think we don't like to fail. And I think sometimes we don't know what to do. It's like starting to write a paper. You know, you know, you can get into the to the rhythm of it once you start writing, but you'll put that thing off for days because you don't know how to start. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, and we all do this. I mean, I, when my husband, my husband's an attorney and when, when he was studying for the bar exam before he really got into the heart of studying for it, he was just totally putting it off. Like I would come home and like things would be done that hadn't been done for like years. Like the gutters would be clean. Like he'd be out there cleaning the gutters. And I'm like, it's so bad that you would rather stand here and scrape leaves out of the gutters than go in and study for the freaking bar exam, you know? And so I think we do that sometimes because we don't make it into manageable little chunks, 15, 20 minutes. And the goal isn't to fix everything. The goal is to memorize this passage or to get more comfortable on these three measures. Or if you're learning a monologue, to really feel like, you have inhabited the character or figured out what the character is doing on these three sentences. And it's those little things that add up, but we're not patient. We're not patient. Yeah. Do you think that manageable goal setting is a step that that needs to be kind of like actually like carved out in time to go into a practice session? Is that something that you should have figured out before going into a practice session or something that, well, I mean, is is it is it important to figure out that manageable goal for their practice session versus just coming to it with kind of a, a vague idea of I need to accomplish something? I think it depends on the day. Okay. I mean, I I think it's it's like, yeah, I think in general, especially when you're starting out, when I have a mm-hmm. freshman music major, I give them very specific assignments. Now when you come back next week, I want to hear blah blah blah. And I want you to do this, 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 to do that, okay? As we get on in our, in our study and we mature and we know more what we need to do, I think that does happen a little more organically, probably, you know. By the time I was in, I don't know, grad school and beyond, and certainly in my doctorate, I wasn't making a list per se of what I was going to do. But I would, I would hit the practice room and I would think, okay, let's see. I don't like this section of this piece. I don't, this hasn't been feeling real great. I need to get to the bottom of this. And so then I would sort of tailor my warm up to what I was going to do in the practice room. And then I would hit those things. But that too is a learned skill. So I think, I mean, and and one of the reasons I wrote this book was that I felt like after so many years of teaching, I realized that one of the things I have to teach my students is how to practice, not just how to sing because they don't know. I came into school with a little bit of an advantage. I told you I was a serious flute player with a serious teacher and, and music, musical parents that were literally like, did you practice today? We need to go practice. Mm-hmm. Like, and I am now that mom and my daughter just loves it. But, but not everybody comes to it from that. Some people come to singing or acting, whatever you want to say, from, from a background where they just know they're good at it and they have some talent and they have a love of it. And they, they, were in, <laughs> they were in choir, but nobody ever really told them how to do it or showed them how to approach it as a craft. Some of them can't even take criticism at the beginning. I have students that have, I've had students literally dissolve into tears the first time that I said I didn't, that I wanted them to fix something in their singing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because you're so mean. Well, I know. There is that. <laughs> I know. I've tried to cut back on the throwing things. I mean, at least I'm, I'm 
throwing oh. more blunt objects now, not as many sharp ones. That's good. That's good. Yeah, because, yeah. well, you know, the legal aspects of it are, are daunting, yeah. Yeah. you know. I don't too, know how, too, many, too many were dying. Too many were dying. And, you know, one or two oh, is gosh. one thing. But, you know, when it's when it's adding up, it's it's hard. I don't think I'd do well in jail. But, yeah, I mean, even kind, gentle criticisms, it, it's just people would dissolve because they just had no idea how to take that. So I see my role as a teacher in kind of helping people learn how to work on their craft, not just making them better singers. Yeah. It's the whole sort of give a man a fish, eats for a day, teach a man to fish, eats for a lifetime. That's yeah. that kind of. Mm, that good old scripture. It's so deep. Just so deep. <laughs> I'm just so deep. Mm. But but it's I think this the dichotomy between the acting and singing here is a really important one, you know, because it's I mean, you I mean, actors are the same way. You know, it's like they're doing something for a long time and they, they've got their thing that they do really well. And people have told them that they do it really well. And then they get in a place where they actually need to start learning technique or need to start learning just to recognize what they're actually doing, you know, and how to expand the horizon. And they can't. They can't take the criticism. They can't do the work. And as we see, when it's like, okay, I get nervous, I'm just going to revert back to the thing that I know how to do, which is often really bad technique. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's the devil you know. Yeah. And, and right. And so to a degree, every person that's learning an art form in, in the performing arts, I think in any art form, has mm-hmm. to make a choice between comfort and growth. Mm-hmm. Oh, see? I'm just so wise. You're just so lucky. No. <laughs> but I do think that's true. I think I think comfort, I've known people who I, I feel like they came into school as good singers. And I mean and I'm talking about students and and peers. They came in and they were good singers. It's not that they weren't good. But they left sort of the same because they never yeah. really opened themselves up to the idea that they could be better and that by accepting criticism and hearing what somebody else had to say and sort of laying down the defense mechanisms that they could actually be better. Yeah. And, and with acting, we've seen people leave worse. You know, we've had people come in who were, who are good where they start off. They're good when they first come in for where they're at, but because of misdirection and misguidance, but also a lack of you know, a, a pushback or, you know, refusal to take criticism, they actually end up leaving worse than how they started off. Right, right. There's so much, there's so much vulnerability built into these art forms. When, when you're dealing with something that's your body, you know, we're all self-protective. We're all protective of our body in every way. We don't want to get hurt. We don't want to get hurt physically. We don't want to get hurt emotionally. And we're protective. When, when criticism comes at us, our first instinct is always to sort of hold out that hand and hold it at bay. But mm-hmm. if we will welcome it and start to understand that just like we have to work on ourselves as people, we have to work on our instrument, too. Yeah. It's all part of the same package. Yeah. Is, there, is there a lifetime for where you're more capable of kind of just winging it going with you know the fact that you know you're you're not necessarily willing to improve but you're fine kind of staying at the level that you are okay with writing what some people you know like to call talent is there a certain point where 
you know, to use a term that kind of bites you in the butt where, you know, uh, not being able to transition into kind of a growth or failure mindset or a practice mindset or whatnot ends up actually having kind of consequences for you? I think so, because I think at a certain point, you can't hide that anymore. People see mm-hmm. it and you kind of become known as the, the one trick pony. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think it, and it, and it kind of depends when you say riding talent. I mean, there are people I think who are talented and there are people who are gifted. Okay. And I think that there are the rare people out there who, who really are, they can just be a hot mess, but for whatever reason you put them on a stage and it's magic. Okay. But I don't think that's the large majority of people, but I think there's a lot of people who think they're that person who aren't, (laughs) you know, I do think that, but I think for most people that have talent, the talent is just the beginning. It's just the springboard for a lifetime of working on the craft. You have to have the talent. You can't, you can't create talent. I mean, you can't, I could have worked on a sport forever and I wouldn't have been good at it because I'm a terrible athlete. I just don't have the goods. I don't. I I don't have the hand-eye coordination. If a ball is coming toward me, my instinct is to duck, not hit it. It's just, it's just not there. Okay. But even at that, I do think that I, you probably would even say yourself that practice would, and, and technique would be a significant equalizer. You know, if, if that was something you dedicated yourself to, there's an element to which, you know, that could be something that you could work on and pursue and, and be able to, you know, find some sort of success there. No, oh, absolutely. I mean, and I've seen that. I've actually even seen that in my daughter who has <clears throat> become, I say become because she really wasn't, but she's become a really good volleyball player because she just really wanted to do it. And she's really tall and she has overcome her genetic lack of athleticism (laughs) and she has become a a pretty decent athlete really and i'm really proud of her about it you know she's not going to play d1 college women's volleyball but Mm -hmm. she's playing really well on the high school level and enjoying herself and so yes i absolutely think that deciding you want to do something and working hard at it you can you can go a long way. I mean, you have to be realistic, but you can you can go a long way for sure. But yeah, I definitely think when people don't work, I I, can, I mean, I have people in mind when I say this. Just people that ride on talent, they end up being people that nobody really likes very much, unfortunately, yep. because they tend to not be good colleagues. They tend to not. Um, they don't just not work on their own stuff. They they tend to not be contributors to a to a project. Mm-hmm. But that's like a, that's a refusal of to be vulnerable, you know? Yeah. And it's good. Like it's, I think vulnerability with art is, it's scary. It is a very scary thing, but it's such a beautiful thing too as well. And if you can really develop that relationship to where it's like, I'm putting, like you said, it was for, it's, you know, it's not an instrument where it's not, you know, or you know, it was like, you're, you're putting your all out there, you know, and you're bearing your soul, you know, whether you're singing or acting or whatever, dancing, you know, you're there, you know, to be seen by other people and to be experienced, you know, that people are experiencing you, you're experiencing them, and then we're all experiencing this thing together, you know, but it's, it's hard. Absolutely. And, and there are people, you know, I'm sure you guys as actors have had people say to you, whether it's people in your family or just friends or whatever, that, that don't do that and have no concept of what that's like to perform. 
they'll, they'll be like, I could never, how do you do that? I could never get on stage and, and do that. I would have such bad stage fright or I could, I, I would never want to be like in the spotlight like that. And what I think that people don't understand is that before you're vulnerable on stage in front of a lot of people, you've already, you've been vulnerable in the mirror, in a practice yeah. room or in a rehearsal or it's, it's, that is where it happens. The people that won't be vulnerable in a practice room and really yeah. get down and really work on what they need to work on are the ones that are, are not going to be able to be vulnerable on stage. That too mm -hmm. is a process. It's not just a gift. Yeah. You know, I was, I was interviewing somebody yesterday about kind of rehearsal resources uh, essentially. And, and, how facilities in particular can contribute uh, or, or hinder some of that process. And one of the things that was kind of interesting was I started to understand a little bit more their perspective that the, the resources available to you in a space aren't necessarily that significant, but rather just everybody being in that space together, in particular the moment when you're not working on anything, right? The moment literally just being in a space and being able to develop personal non-work relationships with people is extremely important for developing ensemble, for developing trust, mm -hmm. for for developing a lot of that stuff. And and what he was he was noticing some about some of his kind of online teaching stuff with with some of his theater classes is they are not even close to to developing these, you know, relationships and whatnot that his normal classes would, and simply because, I, for him, I think he was he was almost looking at like, when you turn the camera off, you're in your own world, you're in your own space. You don't you don't you don't develop those relationships in that ensemble. And I think I think that for him is is what made it seem like a lot of this kind of online forum was particularly problematic. It wasn't necessarily the things that we've been doing, the the types of ways we approach practice and whatnot, but rather the more human aspects to things and the more ensemble focused, you know, external peripheral content. Sure. And I mean, as somebody that, I mean, this goes a little far afield of our topic, but I think we're seeing this not just in the arts and in performing, we're seeing this in society because we've become such an individualized world where people are on their phone all the time. And people have kind of forgotten how to interact with people. We see it. In, I mean, I have friends who are, you know, like high school teachers who will talk about how kids are just so unwilling now to put themselves out there. There's so there's, it, I mean, it's, it's a generalization, but a lot of kids, they don't take initiative. They don't even with things like, you know, asking somebody out that they want to go out with or something because they're just <laughs> not, they're never in that. They, they're not used to being, vulnerable like that because everything is on a screen yeah yeah that the it's just different yeah the impression management is much different due to technology now and it's like how we're the image i create that i present to you that then people never see what's really behind all that it's it's really detrimental oh i think it's so detrimental i do and i think that we're going to see the effects of this weird year for a while too as people yeah. come back to yeah. being together and yeah. come back to working together because everybody's just been, you know, so isolated. Yeah, I think what I was gonna say is just that it's, the vulnerability is scary and just like keeping people at bay is scary, but I also think that's why we, we love art so much. You know, it's why we go and watch plays, it's why we listen to people sing. 
because there's a, and even like when people say, oh, I could never do that. I could never do that. That's why I come and watch you, you know, or like people, it's like, I need a good cry. So, you know, so I put on this song or I watch this movie because they can use that as a way to, as a catharsis, you know, as a way to tap into vulnerabilities that they themselves can't go without assistance, you know, and I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Oh, yeah. We've lost a lot this year by losing live performance. There's no real substitute for it. There's just no real substitute for it at all. Yeah, for sure. But it's going to end. We're going to get through it. Will, it will end. It will end. <laughs> That's right. The world is going to end. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it will all be over. Oh, it's true. Well, and just, just seeing people through masks all the time is hard. You know, yeah. just feeling... I mean, I have, I have freshmen... That I swear to you, I couldn't, if, if you, if they weren't wearing their masks, I could not pick them out of a lineup. Like, I, I yeah. don't know what they look like. That's funny. It's very disconcerting, really. So, well, yeah, I guess, how, how are things this year at the moment with continuing your voc uh, vocal training with students? It's hard. It's Ooh. hard. You have, you basically, I mean, this year I've, I've had, and continue to have really two choices. You're either teaching online and I mean, I've said it, I hate, you know, I know everybody has a hard time with the teaching online, but I'm going to tell you, I believe it's harder for singers than almost anybody because, because there's so much interaction between a voice teacher and a student. You guys know the teacher mm -hmm. is playing the piano. Okay. Often you'll come over and you'll touch the person, you know, to, to position something right. And you just can't do any of that. And, yeah. and teaching online, there's a lag, you know, between if I'm playing the piano on my end and them singing. So it's been a lot of work. I have to record everything they're going to sing. I have to play it for them, send it to them, and they have to play it on their end. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's one way we do it. If I'm doing it in person, it's in a mask. It's in a room, we're both wearing masks, and we're far apart, maybe 10 feet apart. And I can't see what they're doing, obviously, with the mouth and the jaw behind the mask. So mm -hmm. I'm having to go a lot on what I'm hearing, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. That's not necessarily a bad thing for a teacher to have to really hone that. But I do feel like I've lost just a, a huge component of my arsenal yeah. in, in being able to help students and if if mm -hmm. i were just starting out as a teacher i think i'd be really discouraged right now you know mm -hmm. if i if i hadn't been doing this for a while and, and didn't kind of wasn't able to kind of fill in the blank in my mind's eye of what i know they're doing because of what i can hear and that's yeah. just from experience you know so yeah it's it's been a it's been a hard year it's been a weird year it continues to be a hard year and a weird year you know, but I mean, I'm trying to keep it going because I think maintaining that connection is really important for students and, you know, people are, are paying for their education and they can't just, we can't just decide that they're not going to learn during this time. So, but yeah, it's definitely been a, been a hard year, as you guys know. Yes, we do. Yes. It's crazy. It's weird. Cool. Well, I think, yeah, I think we'll wrap it up there. Thank you for coming, Dr. Whitehead. Yeah, if people are interested in in your book, the the title, and possibly, you know, what information do you have about that? Oh, sure. Thank you for letting me plug it. Mm -hmm. It's I Left My Wand at Home, a voice teacher on the practical magic of practice. It is not published yet. I have it out to several uh, publishers right now. But I'll, I'll let you guys know 
when, yes. when, when that changes. But it's basically, the I wrote it off of my dissertation, okay, which was on how to practice. And so I basically took that, which was in kind of a more academic format and sort of academic speak, and I made it a lot more colloquial, a lot more like I'm just talking to a student. And I that's that's how I see this book. I see it as a manual that maybe voice teachers on the college level and maybe even below or beyond, maybe even people that are working with adult students could suggest and, and give as maybe assigned reading to help people understand basics. I talk about prepping for everything from a recital to a role to managing your vocal health to knowing when something you're singing isn't right for your voice to working with your teacher to working with a coach and accompanist i have some advice in there from other singers that i interviewed and other other musicians so it's got a lot of good stuff if i do say so myself so that sounds fantastic yeah well and, and cool. we will definitely share that link on on social media certainly when it does become available and you can find us on twitter at in Imperium Podcast. That's I-M-P-E-R-I-U-M Podcast. Let us know your thoughts. Have you taken voice lessons before? What is your relationship with practice? Uh, are you one of those lazy bums? Uh, just messing. But certainly look there. Have a conversation with us. We appreciate hearing from you guys. And with that, we'll be back next week talking about something. <laughs>